and welcome to the gray area where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 67th episode in a weekly series called THQ and EU. <laughs> Here with me is Jameson Durrell, Game Design Director at Volition. And last week's episode was a discussion about Death Decor Dishonor before my trip and being away. So please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Saturday, June 23rd, and we're going to discuss THQ, some games from there, and talk about game design a little bit. So to the chat room people, we will take questions at the end if you have them, so save them to the end and we'll ask later. Well, let's start with news of the week. Since I've been out of town, I'm really kind of out of it. So the last couple weeks, I've played catch-up. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to learn a lot more about Skyrim DLC Dawn Guard, which is coming out the 26th, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, I don't know if you've... Are you playing that as well? You're a Skyrim fan? Yeah, I've, I've played through most of it myself, but my wife's the one who's played through all of it and is waiting anxiously for next week. So <laughs> Very good. I've done most of the factions, I think, except for the Thieves Guild, so I'm ready for content. I think their timing is good. Nice. Yeah, yeah the Thieves Guild's actually the one that I did fully do. So. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> See, I got the bug where if you don't go upstairs and talk to um, Raven, I think her name is, the leader, waiting for you in the inn, that it bugs the whole quest line. So I had to wait for them to patch uh -oh. that, and I just kind of lost interest after that. It's understandable. <laughs> yes. And huge news for me, the extended cut of Mass Effect 3 will be launched June 26th with Skyrim. What will we do? <laughs> I know all everyone's sitting with bated breath. Like, there's a lot of pressure, I think, for Bioware right now for that extended cut DLC. And yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I've got through about 30 hours of the game. I haven't finished it yet, and okay. so I'm kind of like, you know, I haven't played it. So now I'm kind of like, do I go ahead and finish it now and then do the extended cut and see what the difference is, or you know? So I'm kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I think you're supposed to because the extended cut is said to take into consideration uh, the different factions that you helped build, so your readiness level, and your endings that you chose, like who you brought with you in the final party, who who lives, who's you know okay. who's there and who's not. So I think that if you finish it, you might have a different result for your your ending DLC. Gotcha. Uh, they say it's going to be 1.9 gigs, and it'll be for PC, PS3, and Xbox 360, and that you can load your save before the end of the game. And I guess this is going to fit somehow between the actual ending when you know when you're in the last the last bit, which I won't spoil for you, um, because they <laughs> said you can save it just before the end to play through this new content, and then somehow that's going to fit in. So maybe you don't have to finish it. Mm, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. And they said you can multiple playthrough to experience different possibilities. Hmm. So and now I, I have to know what it is now because, hmm, I think everyone's main issues with the game pretty much resulted after you have to make that choice at the end. So I wonder how hmm. they're going to add extra content that's going to make that choice a little less, a little more palatable, shall we say? It's interesting. Yeah, look forward to that. <laughs> so what will you play first, Skyrim or Mass Effect Three? Uh, I'll finish Mass Effect 3 first. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. That'll be a little shorter, maybe. Yeah. And 
let's see, there was, people were getting up in arms because there was a 72-hour mandatory wait time that existed for those who uh, wanted to play the digital edition. Uh, for Diablo 3? Yeah, for Diablo 3. And yeah. so uh, people, I guess, would purchase the game and then have to wait 72 hours before they could actually play while Blizzard technically activated their account. And right. that... That, they're saying, is an un unintended consequence of 1.03 update for their digital edition purchasers. They didn't mean for that to happen, and they're working on fixing that. And they told Kotaku that other restrictions like auction houses, public chat channels, and games, and item dropping will remain in place for the new digital edition purchases until the credit card payments can be approved. But they will uh, probably speed that up so you're not stuck for 72 hours, which I know other people were getting upset about. And that makes sense. You had a starter edition instead of the full edition. Right. Which means you can't play with your friends. That's the bad thing about starter edition Diablo. Yeah, that is kind of weird. But, I mean, yeah, I talked to one of my buddies at work there about that, and he was saying that they, that you know, that basically they set it up that way so they didn't have to worry about um, farming and stuff like that, coming in, people making free accounts and, and bothering everybody uh, else. So I thought, okay, that kind of makes sense. But, you know, it's a little interesting. You can't play with your friends and try to entice them to get into the game. Yeah, I actually wanted to try it out. I wasn't 100% committed because some people that I knew had it and some people didn't have it. And I thought, well, I'll try it out and I'll play with them. And I was disappointed that you couldn't actually... And that would be the game draw for me and for a lot of other people, the actual multiplayer aspect. So I, I was kind of surprised they don't give you maybe like a free whatever, however many days of multiplayer before they cut you off. But, hmm. but interesting choice. Yeah. Smart Glass, the big new thing from E3, was released for Xbox 360 after its success there, and it allows the 360 developers to integrate PC, tablet, and phone screens with their games and applications. Now, I have to say, I'm confused by Smart Glass. <laughs> like, I tried to, to look at some of the videos. I didn't get to see it actually premiere at E3. What do you think about that? You think it's going to be something that people are going to use? I... I think so. I mean, I'm pretty excited as a developer because the the main thing they did that I found very interesting is they're allowing any kind of tablet or uh, phone to be used on on with on the platform. Okay. So you know, your iPhone they'll they'll be able to Microsoft will be able to create things that allows the iPad or iPhone to integrate into the system better, and you can make games that kind of cross platform between your you're holding your phone and doing something that maybe is coming up on on your Xbox. So there's a lot of potential there for us to kind of branch out and fully integrate mobile into the experience instead of just having it as a side thing that's, that you can do when you're not in front of your machine. So is the purpose, um, you're looking at your tablet, and let's say there's other people in the room, and you want to share something that you're doing, so you throw it up on the screen. Is that the idea, just like kind of, almost like an overhead projector to kind of share multiple things with people? Or what is the purpose to have them all integrated? I think I think that could be an option. Um, I, one of the things that I think about, though, is imagine like you're, you're playing a game with someone, and one of the things I think back to is, is back in the old days playing games like Tecmo Super Bowl, and you had to pick your play on screen. Ah. Right. So, so, but instead, now you've got your mobile device that you can actually pick your play on, so they don't see what you're doing. And then now you go back to the game, and now you're doing it again. So you can have integrations like that that allows you to kind of use multiple things to Im impact the game. Or even, for instance, if you're playing something like a first a first person shooter, squad based, you know, sixteen on sixteen, one person could be on a tablet, kind of orchestrating and directing, and you know, putting waypoints down, maybe something like that, so that the other people kind of see that result in game. Okay, I could see this with End of Nations. Sounds fun. All right. Oh, well, I'll have to try it out because I know that Wii has... This is basically like the answer to the new Wii 
I'm assuming, and then this seems seems like it, yeah. And of course, there's so little information right now, so it's just a matter of trying to figure out what exactly is going to be the integration like, and then what could we do with it. And we're starting to kind of figure out what those options are for us. Good. EA has some deep discounts right now at their store, including Dragon Age Origins, which is discounted by 87.5%. So if you have not played Dragon uh, Age Origins, get it now. They have mirrors. And why haven't? Yeah, why haven't you? <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have Mirror's Edge, Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit, Battlefield, Bad Company 2, and other third-party things such as Batman Arkham Asylum, which I'm embarrassed to say I haven't played, and Darksiders, which I need to get because Darksiders 2 is coming out and looks completely awesome, and I've not played Darksiders 1. Uh, yeah, so we will have to talk about that. I actually just went back and played the first Darksiders about six months ago, finally. It, it's, it's a much bigger game than I thought. It had a very interesting Zelda feel to it. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Hmm. We will talk about that in a little bit. So, news of the week. Gaming news is done. What is your news of the week, Jameson? Oh, Windows Phone 8. So excited. Okay. Uh, I, I moved on to, to Windows Phone uh, last November when, when the 7s first came out. Because for me, it was like the phones are also similar. So why not get one that lets me have achievements? <laughs> so... <laughs> So I did that, and I've been hooked ever since. The usability is awesome. The The biggest complaint has been the amount of apps and things like that has been on the low side. But, okay. you know, I still love the phone, and I'm really looking forward to the next versions that are coming out this fall. I'm so behind when it comes to phones. I don't even have a smartphone. That's, like, my goal in August, to get a smartphone. <laughs> you know, I have my iPad, so I can use the apps everyone talks about. But how nice to be able to yeah. go outside and have a GPS or something useful. Yeah. It is. Diff- I don't know how to live without a smartphone now. <laughs> I want to take pictures of my food and post it on Facebook like everyone else. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> so uh, my news of the week, I think everyone knows, is I've been away uh, on vacation to North Carolina all last week. And then I had a conference this week until Wednesday. So I'm just kind of playing catch up really quickly and uh, doing lots of laundry. So <laughs> let's talk about games you're playing now. So what, what is on your list of things you're doing? Uh, lately, you know, I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics on the iPad. Um, that was a, a big favorite of mine from when I was younger, and being able to do that anywhere, anytime, and it's always there. I just, you know, can, you know, basically turn it on anytime and just start working with it is, is a lot of fun for me. So that's mostly what I'm doing there. Um, I have Diablo 3, but I've only put a little bit of time into it, and like I said, I want to finish Mass Effect, but most of my time right now, I'm has been on the iPad while I'm on the go. There you go. I know we're draw something friends, and I'm a horrible draw something uh, partner because I just every once in a while I'll do like a whole shoot of them, and then I just won't touch it for three months. So I, I do the same now. I have quite a few draw something. <laughs> Gotta catch up on. All right. So looking at your blog, your fatherhood and gaming blog, mm-hmm. you seem to have a Disney obsession. <laughs> and I'm wondering if this has something to do with the Enchanted Storybook from your You Draw games, or what? What is this Disney obsession with your that you have? Uh, for me, this is something I've had since I was a kid. Actually, you know, I I collected the movies growing up. I loved all of the movies, and even as I got older, I started collecting them, and and so I'd have them for when my my kids were born. So now, then it became like a for us a, a very much a a family thing to do. You know, we watch the movies together. We we go to Disney World a lot. Um, it's a really great thing for us to do together. And I've just, you know, actually Walt Disney is my idol. So, okay. you, know, you know, it's like my, there's just a lot of my life that, that kind of revolves around it. And I, I just enjoy it a lot. 
I went twice, I think, as a child, and I also thought it was just amazing. Um, but I'm really like a roller coaster fan and definitely a fan of, of going on rides. And um, there are several people in my family who are, are not, they don't like motion, let's say, and they, and they don't like that. So are your, are your children and, and your wife, they like that too? Will they go on and participate with you? Yeah, uh, you know, my, my wife gets a little motion sickness sometimes, so she can't do everything, but me and my son ride pretty much everything together as well. So, okay. But, you know, the, the, the biggest thing about it for me, though, is it's about the experience that they sell. And, like, when you, when you're at Disney World or anything they do, is, it's very much like they're, they're selling you something that you can believe in. Everything that they do, there's nothing there that takes you out of the experience. And they're very careful about that. Like, you don't, you don't see, the you know the garbage cans around very well you know they, they kind of hide things in and integrate things and you know they, they stay open for a third shift after everybody's gone and that's when they clean the park every night and they they paint everything that needs it and you know it's like they basically make sure that when you're there that the experience is a very clear and clean one for you and that's to me that's a very the kind of thing that i like i strive to do in what i do every day is trying to make a, an experience that draws the player in and, and make sure that they're not being taken out of it as much as possible so i think they're really good at that and i admire that a lot Oh, that's interesting. I never thought to draw the line between gaming and uh, and the Disney experience too. I like how they have the hidden Mickey's. Mm-hmm. Which I that's my son's favorite that. thing to look for now. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's always looking for them. There's one, but no, that's not really one, buddy. But keep looking. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that in gaming too. That's one of the reasons I think that interviewing is so fun because you find out uh, in all the things that that people put in that's personal that you would never know about, you know, until you ask. I know. Right. Yeah. I think I think I may have mentioned a couple of mine when we talked last time. With, for I think you had a, uh, your son's and it's something about a, a town like on a sign. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did. I put my son's name on a water tower, and then uh, yeah, the uh, the one of the towns we named after the road that I grew up on. So. Yes. See, yeah. I like that kind of thing. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move to other things in your blog. Running. Now I have to tell you. <laughs> I'm not a huge runner myself because I don't like that feeling where you can feel your heart beating and it feels like it's going to explode. <laughs> not a fan of that. Um, <laughs> but I was inspired by your blog and I actually did go out and start the, you know, Catch to 5K program the other day. <laughs> yes. So uh, it wasn't too difficult with the 90 second running, you know, walking for a minute and a half. But I do feel like I have to have a lot of gadgets because I have no idea like how far, you know, 90 feet, you know, 900 feet would be, or how long a minute and a half would be. I feel like I need to be carrying like a bunch of stopwatches or something like that. Yep. How do you accomplish all that? Um, the main thing for me was originally I did it with, uh, with my phone. So, and they've got running apps like I would use, um, RunKeeper and things like that. Okay. Um, but for me, it was, it was really easy to like, no, I did it by time because distance, there's no way I could have done distance <laughs> at that time. Uh, so it was, you know, but it was pretty easy to be like, okay, you know, look for 90 seconds. And I was constantly calculating, you know, what's my, my next one I run at, you know, at three minutes for the next 60 seconds or whatever. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, with, but yeah, it was that. And if I didn't have music, it would have been awful. So uh -huh. those things combined made it quite a bit easier to do it. And, but yeah, the, the program itself, the Couch to 5K was like, it's literally made for someone who's never run before. And it, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be running the way that I am. I'm up to four miles at each run right now. So, and the other thing that's interesting is um, I'm going to run my first half marathon in November at Disney World. So now I'm working on uh -huh. track 
for that right now. So we'll be doing that uh, on November 10th. So I got to get up to 13.1 miles. Oh, man. <laughs> well, they say, I mean, the people that run, I, I admire their physique. I feel like if you're going to be a dedicated runner, you probably are in really good shape. And, you know, I feel like if I can do a mile to three miles, I'll be able to look at myself and say, you know, no matter what I look like, I'm proud because that's a pretty good accomplishment, I think, to be able to Absolutely. do Absolutely. But yeah. do you feel like... Uh, People say it's just amazing and how, how great running feels, and I can imagine that it feels good, <laughs> does it really? It, it does, actually. I it, It's funny because I, I, I did a blog post about this just recently, and like the first mile of every run is like I'm sitting there going, I hurt, my legs hurt, <laughs> my shoulders are hurting, like, like why am I doing this? <laughs> and then after the first mile, then I start going into my mental stuff of, you know, what, why am I doing this at all? Like, I don't, I don't, I want to just walk. Like I'm getting tired, you know, but then after that second mile is done, it's like, I feel like I can run forever. Like the endorphins kick in and it's, it happens every time. Like I go through that same process every time, but by the time I'm done, I feel so good. I feel so accomplished. And you know, like, like the run that I did today, I did four miles at, and I did about 10, 10 minute and 10 second miles at 600 calories burned. And I'm just like, after that, it's like, how can you not feel great about that? Right. So, okay. But so you got to get through the first one. Go ahead. What's that? So you just have to get through the first mile. Right. But speaking of gadgets, I ended up buying a Garmin GPS watch. So, so now I'm looking at here's my current pace, here's the distance that I'm going, all of that stuff. So I've, I've got like everything there, and I can have my route on there, and then it displays everything online. I put some of the links on my Facebook page. So, you know, it's it's nice to like for that that accountability for myself to be like, you know, pushing it out there. So I'm making sure that I'm keeping up with it. And then people that care can comment and, and see that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's important kind of to have that Facebook app. I see people posting that all the time. And usually I'm just kind of like, you know, when I see it, <laughs> but I think it's good, uh, especially for yourself to know that if you don't do it, it's not like it's just going to be yourself. Everyone's going to know you have to, you have to keep it up. Like you said, you would. Yeah. I like that. Okay, yeah. so let's move to the gaming part. Last time you were here, you were not a games director, so congratulations. And can you Thanks. explain like what a games director is versus a designer? What's the difference? Well, uh, essentially, I'm in charge of the entire design of the project. Like when I was the lead level designer on Red Faction Armageddon, I had a group of, of level designers that you know worked with the creating of the missions and scripting them and, and implementing all of the things and kind of creating the cohesive experience, taking taking all the bits that everybody does and kind of putting it together into something. Well, now my my um, my purview goes a little bit higher to where I'm looking at the entire design of the game. I'm over systems and levels and making sure that, that every piece comes together under a, a cohesive vision and that the, the design of the game is fun. And then, I you know, I basically try to create... Um, uh, goalposts for everyone to kind of work within so they can do the things that they're very good at inside of there while keeping the vision kind of, you know, together and, and, and making stuff that, that works to make the game as good as possible. You were talking about levels, and I understand that from our last interview. What what are systems? How does that work? Systems are kind of the underlying stuff that, that everything works with. So, for instance, weapons are one of the systems, and so we have people that's, that work specifically on, you know, what is the balance of each weapon? What do they do? How often do you fire them? You know, what are they, what are they strong and weak with? You know, those, those kind of details. And then we have designers, systems designers that work with vehicles and with enemy uh, AI. So they, they work very closely with how does, you know, how do the, en the enemies 
uh, how do they act? Uh, what kind of weapons do they have? You know, basically all the, un the underlying stuff that then kind of functions and everyone else kind of drops that stuff in and works around it uh, to kind of make the experiences that they're looking for. Okay, that makes sense. Let's move on to Saints Row the Third uh, into the Dominatrix, which just came out recently. And also there was, I think, a DLC on June 12th, which is in Wieners or something like that. <laughs> Wasn't there as well? Um, yeah, there's quite a bit of DLC. Now, Enter the Dominatrix, we actually just announced that we're not going to ship. It was supposed to come out this fall, and what, what they decided to do is to take that and expand it and make that into Saints Row 4. I see. Okay. So, so that's the big news that came out this week. Yeah. All right. So having Saints Row the Third and it's on my list of things to play, I've gotten a couple levels in, but I haven't really like completed the game in any way. Um, mm -hmm. Saints Row 4, is this going to continue where you are currently with the story, or are you going to move to a different city and it'll be entirely different? Um... You know, I can't, I can't, well, as far as the, the, the dominatrix stuff, it's very, it's very, um, <laughs> it's, it's very outlandish, which is part More of what, so you know. than the dildo club? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, basic, the, the basic premise behind it is to kind of take and, um, kind of go into a digital type world with it. And, but it's, you know, kind of based around the same city. Um, and all, you know, all this, the thing is, all the stuff that we've talked about up to now, though, we don't know exactly what of that we're going to keep and move forward with because we're kind of expanding it into a full product now. So it's going to be a matter of figuring out what what things make sense to kind of expand or, you know, kind of remove or maybe even change entirely. So that's the evaluation process that's kind of happening right now. Okay. As the games director, how many games do you get to be involved in? Are there quite a few games directors uh, basically assigned to one game, or do you do several games at a time? Uh, the way it works at Volition is uh, I'm a project design director, so we have one on each project, and I'm a head of design on that entire project. Okay. So we, okay. each project that we have going would have a design director on it. I see. I see. Did you get... I know you were involved with um, Saints Row, I believe, too. Were you on that on that team? No. Actually, I wasn't on that team. Uh, I, I worked on Red Faction, and then when Armageddon was done, I moved on to my project uh, a little over a year ago, and I've been working on that since then. I want to theorize that it's insane. I realize you can't say anything about that, <laughs> but I just like to imagine that it is, regardless if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I can't say anything about that. I, <laughs> I do want to talk about insane, though, um, regardless. Uh, sure. And there's very little information that that's able to be said about that. Um, I've seen the previews, which are very teasing and, uh, and hard to, to pin down. Right. Um, and it doesn't really say, it doesn't really say a whole lot about it other than, um, I think that it's a survival horror is what they're describing it as. So hmm. that could be, and that's what, that's what it says in the Wikipedia, but who knows how accurate that could be. <laughs> and that's why there's open. very, there's very little that's been said. I mean, it's, you know, the teaser trailer that came out at the Video Game Awards, well, I guess two years ago now, and then the little bits that either Guillermo or Denny Bilson had talked about, you know, it's, it, it, especially when the teaser trailer came out, that was very, very early. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it, you know, they've been working on it for a while and, you know, it, but it's not ready to talk about any of the specifics yet. But I, I think it's interesting when you have such a creative force behind a project like that, because that can go really well or really badly, depending on kind of what that relationship is like. And 
I think it's kind of fascinating to watch. <laughs> well, Guillermo del Toro, I kind of expected more imagery because he's sort of known for that, you know, the style, right. the comic style and stuff. And and there's really holding back on a lot of the imagery, I guess, to be surprising for the big reveal. So I'll be yeah. interested to see. Um, is there a projected release for that? It's 2013? I don't think so. Not that I've heard. Okay. Let's move to some of the serious stuff now. The future of THQ. I think uh, people have been very concerned in the last month or so with the news from 38 Studios, and uh, I have several friends that live in Australia as well, one of which tells me that uh, he has a really hard time uh, finding a job because a lot of studios close down and they just don't get a lot of government support, and and that happens, unfortunately. Um, I know we've had several studios before that have closed down, and, and uh, it looks like there's a lot of shuffling right now happening at THQ with the company vice president, um, the vice president, the corporate controller, and the, the chief accounting officer, Terry Manby, resigning. And um, she's still, I believe, there until July. But I wondered, as you know, as a director, if you're seeing that come down, Ugh. the shuffling come down um, to where you are as well, like, are you noticing a lot of... Uh, do you, does that impact you at, on your on your level where you are? Um, you know, I think I think the big thing that's going on right now is with you know the company obviously has had to do something um, with you know our stock constantly dropping um, bets that we were making not not following following through or you know or at least being as successful as we hoped. Um, it was it we clearly had to do something, and you know. I, Making the move to bring in Jason Rubin as our president is is a big move, and in order for that to work well, uh, I think that he has to come in and make things set things up the way that he feels most comfortable with, and you know, basically orchestrate and organize the company in a way that he feels that we can you know be successful and really kind of move forward out of where the situation that we're in. So to me, that that means. Whatever he needs to do, he's going to do. And I'm just kind of sitting back and waiting to see what the result of that stuff is. Um, now, of course, this is just my, my opinion and my view on the thing. Uh, I have very, very little insider info into what his decisions are. Uh, but, you know, we do see the results of those. And, and, you know, Enter the Dominatrix becoming a full product is, is, was part of that evaluation process for us. So, you know, for us, you know, that was kind of a decision that was made. And now we're kind of looking at it and figuring out what do we do with that and how do we move forward with that? So it does come all the way down to us at a developer level at times. And, you know, so we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do there while also kind of looking and seeing what, what does the rest of this mean for the, for the comp, for the corporation? You know, I, I feel really, really good about Volition, um, as a company and as a studio. Like I don't, I feel like we are a very good studio and capable of some really great things. So whatever we're asked to do, I feel like we'll be able to do well. Um, so I don't have any concerns or anything like that as far as, you know, stability of volition or, and, and it seems to me, my opinion that, that the right kinds of decisions are being made for THQ. So it, uh, as long as things keep moving in the right direction and th these kind of decisions keep moving that way, I think, I think we're going to be fine. I'm reading, um, some some information on Fortrader that's saying it seems like what I'm understanding from Fortrader is that a lot of the trouble seems to be Udraw and that it's not being purchased uh, by owners the way that there's expectations saying that it would be um, and that the 
the sales were 25% below the expectations. And it sounds like it's UDRAW that seems to be the issue. Is that something that you guys have any um, any input into? Is that something that Volition get, designs games for? Or is that something that is, is in other parts of THQ? Yeah, that Volition doesn't do anything UDRAW, uh, anything kids at all, really. And kind of basically what happened over the last year is you know, they, the U-Draw for the Wii was a big success for THQ. And it actually, you know, it sold out and it sold well and, you know, everybody wanted it. And the decision was made to then take that into next or to current gen, you know, with, with the 360 and PS3 version. So they, you know, they, they developed that and had expectations based on, on the Wii stuff is my, my guess. And then that didn't happen. So the the market was not the same. The same type of people that own a 360 aren't the same people that are, are using a Wii. So generally, so you know, and and I, I what I what I'm seeing in the in these class action lawsuits is it, it what's being said is you know things like maybe TCU didn't inform investors properly about the the, the UDRAW stuff. I honestly have no idea about anything like that stuff, but. Um, but what is clear is that there were high expectations for it and it didn't meet those expectations. So a big part of what we did in our reorganization over the last few months is we no longer have a kids division. It's gone. So we're, you know, anything that we do with that would be done outside or things like that. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't even know that we have anything in development for kids at all. So we're, we're purely a core games company now and working on trying to, you know, fewer, bigger products and trying to, you know, basically build our brand with, with high quality stuff. Okay. Let's talk about a debate that I've been reading about that you've been involved in uh, regarding used games, and mm. <laughs> there's been some back and forth on that. Can you explain to the listeners, I, I guess everyone's assumption is when you buy used games that the developer gets a cut of that. Um, I understand this isn't necessarily so. So can you explain the process of what happens to a game that comes out new and then as time goes on ends up into the used game bin? Yeah, I mean, basically the way it works is when, when you buy a game that's new, the, the place that you buy it from, you know, they've, they've purchased the game from, directly from the distributor for say $30 and then they've got it on their shelf for 60 So when you buy that game, so when, when it goes into the, you, to the store new, it was purchased and, and the develop, the, the company and developer makes that, they're, they're part of the money from there. Okay. So when you go when you go back and sell the game back to a, a used or you know to somewhere uh, like like GameStop or wherever, um, they give you back say your fifty dollars for your game, and then they or thirty dollars for your game, and they put it back on their shelves. So now when they sell that game again, they've they've paid you for it, not anyone else, and so that sale now is just extra money for them. So. So basically, the way it works is they, they're they're making money twice on it, twice. and the, none of the second purchase ever makes it back. So that's the, and that's that's the the basic like the, the thing that I like to make clear to people is I don't have a problem with used games. What I have is a problem with people making a business out of them because it completely cuts us out of the loop. So it's you know we we're trying really hard to make compelling content and um, to do it in in a way where you know we can continue to do this and you know it, it makes it difficult for us when there's such a huge business that's made out of you know the used games market do you think it will continue to be a large market considering the uh, increase in digital downloads it will used games continue to be yeah 
I it's it's really interesting. That's that's part of what um, I think is in, is exciting potentially about the digital stuff, but also very frustrating because like from a developer standpoint, it would be really nice to know that everyone that that buys the game had to have purchased it new so that we get our cut of that game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as a gamer, I like to lend games to my friends. You know, I like to play things with other people or, you know, here, try this out. You'll like this, you know, and, right. and if I can't do that, then, you know, that's frustrating for all of us. So it's like, where, where is the middle ground for something like this? I know it, people get frustrated as well. Um, that it seems if you do purchase a game digitally, there are certain companies that are insistent upon checking your ownership of that game repeatedly, um, with requiring online access basically yeah. to do so. And, uh, what do you think about, what do you think about that? With the necessity for online access? You know, it's interesting. Like, I don't even know that you need online access in particular. Like, the, like PC games market has had user keys forever. And, you know, like, it, it, people didn't seem to mind that too much. Like, eventually, they, they, you know, we got used to it and we're just kind of accustomed to doing that. And with Steam and everything else that has that model. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there is the downside of, you know, what do you do when you can't log on to, to get your verification? Like, you need some kind of system where it's like, you know, as long as you've logged in once and ensured that this is yours, that, you know, it'll work now uh, with some kind of offline mode. But, you know, I mean, models like that, I think, are at least a good start. I mean, they, they could work. Um, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out, not making it too much of an inconvenience to people, because that's the last thing that, as a developer, I want is inconvenience people about playing our games. Right, right. And I know that are, there are certain friends, one of which is in the chat room, probably screaming, that don't always have access to the internet and they want to play games and they get frustrated when they can't, they can't lock on. Yeah. Uh, right. something else I guess I should address is in publishing for, for books, I find that I get frustrated when, um, a book is the same cost digitally to me as it would be in, you know, an actual print. And as a graphic designer myself, I tend to do the same thing where I, I say, you know, somebody has to pay to print that, somebody has to pay to design that. Um, you know, they also need their cut of that as well. So why should a digital uh, be the same price as a physical copy of something? Do you find in gaming that you, you hear that too? Because I guess a lot of the art still transfers over, although you don't get the kind of the same impact um, that you do from an actual, you know, physical copy of the game. People do collector's editions, I guess, for that. But otherwise, uh, you kind of don't get the graphics that you would normally. Right. Yeah. the The main difference is the, you know, the packaging itself. You know, whatever the the um, the labeling is and the box itself, and then the shipping and all of that stuff. Um, I I really feel like you know if the digital game should at least be ten dollars cheaper and. Mm-hmm. What, what I would like to see personally is, you know, more digital stuff coming up and maybe more like a thirty nine ninety five price point for these games and, you know, move to something that's a little cheaper, more accessible to people or maybe even episodic. Who knows? But, you know, it's it's really interesting to think. I think there's a lot of options for, for the next gen stuff that, that they could go with. And I'd be curious to see what where it falls and kind of what the options are. Yeah, I do think people will purchase collector's editions just because they love to get you know, the special packaging and the special items that are included and stuff. So there's ways to, to balance that, you would think. Yeah, I, I enjoy them myself. Like, I, I tend to buy them quite a bit. So <laughs> We buy them quite a bit, and then they sit in the corner. I don't know what to do with the huge Star exactly. Wars box that I have now forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, 
see. I would like to talk about Darksiders 2 because I've seen several of the uh, YouTube videos and the previews for it. Uh, and it was really awesome. I never even heard of Darksiders 1 until I noticed that 2 was coming out. And now I feel like I have to go back and play that series. Uh, what would you say about that and what can we look forward to with the second in the series? You know, I, I I really enjoyed the first one myself. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I played through it um, about six months ago. Um, it it had a very interesting Zelda feel. You know, it's it's you know it's third person action, but a lot more in the way of you know jumping and attacking and, and magical abilities, things like that. Okay. Um, the story was was very interesting, um, and you know it was a big game. It was over thirty hours, um, which kind of surprised me. I didn't expect it to be that big, and you know it had a really a really nice fantastical art style um a lot of fun the guys at visual did a really really good job on it and you know i've been kind of following this one for a while uh getting to play his death in this one i think is going to be really interesting they've done a really good job with the marketing so it's one that i'm pretty excited for myself i can't wait to play it the cinematics are amazing and having known nothing about the first one when i first saw it i was very scared of the character of death and i thought well he's going to be with one of the demons and then you see him beating up the demons and helping kind of the angel side and all of a sudden he's got yeah. wings and a cloak <laughs> it was really neat um, yeah i like the combo where you sort of have a little bit of the cyber um almost steampunk looking robots uh involved you know, I wouldn't expect to see that style necessarily when you're talking a very traditional sort of like angel demon battle. But there is a little bit of the, uh, a bit of the cyberpunk and a little bit of the, um, the, that in it, which was interesting. So I like the style for sure. Yeah. But I'll have to see the actual gameplay. I've only seen the cinematics. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the gameplay quite a bit. You know, it's, I, I hadn't played it, you know, a, Adventure. It felt like an old school adventure hack and slash type game. You know, jumping around, grappling, that kind of stuff. And right. I, in a while, so I had a lot of fun with it. Chat room saying God of War, like they're comparing it to God of War. I could see a bit of that, yeah. So I, I understand you've been honored by a full sale and, and received an <laughs> award from them. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so this past November, I was inducted into the Full Sail Hall of Fame. Uh, they've been doing it for about three years now. Uh, the criteria is that it, the school's been around for 30 years. Uh, they started off doing audio engineering and then they added in show production, uh, film, digital media. There's a bunch of programs there now. Game design was added when I was in, actually, I started with one of the first, very first classes. Ah. Um, and so I graduated in February of 01 and then the, the criteria for the Hall of Fame is, uh, you know, had to have been in the industry for 10 years. Um, you know, done good things in their industry and then also given back to the school. And so, you know, they, this was my first year of eligibility and, uh, this is the third year that they've done it. And so, I mean, it was, it was a pretty big honor for me, uh, not only to be in it, but I'm the first, first gaming student to be in it, but also the first person in their first year of eligibility. So, you know, so for me, it was, it was pretty nice, and it, it was an amazing experience. I did a blog, couple of blog posts about it, but there's six people each year that they that they put in, and across all the industries. And I was there with like uh, for the the girl Laurie that does um, she does facial uh, mocap, like she did Dobby and um, and uh, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah, uh, and you know, like uh, 
and then people that do like sound engineering, Dave Farmer does sound engineering for, for like, he's working on The Hobbit right now and he worked on Lord of the Rings movies. So it's like, you know, I'm with some people that do some pretty extraordinary things. So it was pretty humbling to kind of, kind of be with that company. Awesome. Well, congratulations. I, I like the pictures. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good experience for sure. <laughs> now, I know you can't tell us any more about your secret project, but uh, what can we expect from Volition coming out this year that we should look to, forward to? This year? Now, I don't think we have well, let's any. Let's say 2013. <laughs> let's say 2013. Um, you know, I, the, I mean, the thing that we're definitely working on right now is, you know, the, the revamped Saints Row stuff. So we've put a lot of focus into figuring out what 4 is going to be like and kind of, you know, really trying to figure out how to make it a little more over the top. Uh, you know, what, what kind of improvements can we make, you know, visually and with gameplay and, you know, really trying to... We, we've got a lot of really talented people at Volition. I'm very, very happy and honored to work with them. And, you know, I feel like that they're capable of doing some really great things and I'm curious to see what they're going to do and we can unleash them on this and kind of see which way it goes. I saw there was a South Park game and I refused to look further into it. Oh, it's amazing looking. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about? It's a, it's an RPG. Um, like old school, old school RPG where you play as the new kid that shows up and like go east. The, how, how old school? Like go east? How, uh, how old school are we well, talking? Like the gameplay from what I can tell looks very much like Final Fantasy side scroll, you know, like 2D, you know, battle on each side type, okay. type gameplay and, you know, picking your abilities and then it auto attacks, that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. And, but, but the, the story and the dialogue and, it is a really funny game from what I what I've seen so far, and they have you know they're Trey and Matt are doing you know all the dialogue writing and recording themselves, and you know it's it's a big game, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it gets pulled off for you know twenty plus hours or whatever the game ends up being at. Are you getting the voice actors from South Park to do it as well? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I know. I mean, I think it's it's. Trey or Matt, whichever one of them does most of the voices himself anyway. So, and then I, I assume that they're, I think they're going to be trying to get any other people that normally would do them. So, but like I said, I think 90% of them is done by them anyway. So. Okay. Excellent. I'm asking chat room if I have any questions. They may or may not. Are there anything, any questions that you want the listeners to, uh, to have answers to that you can think you've been asked lately? I, I know you do kind of a question answer thing on your blog sometimes. Like game design uh, questions. Sure. I mean, I, I'm open to answering anything that I can. You know, I, I don't have any, you know, there's certain things that I can't talk about, but whatever I can, I'm happy to. I get a lot of questions from beginning uh, people that want to enter the gaming industry. And uh, you did talk in your blog about how you really won't ever see, like, entry-level uh, positions for, for a game designer. How, right. if you're... um out of the, the country and you want to come and, and try to get a job, how would you recommend networking in order to meet people that might give you that job? Would you do conventions? How would you meet people from out of country? Wow, that's interesting. Um, I think that the Game Developers Conference locations and those kind of things are a really, really good good place to kind of get your foot in the door. Um, I've I got my second job from someone I met at GDC and then just called them up later and, you know, and asked them if they were hiring and they didn't have anything posted, but, you know, they, they ended up hiring me. So, you know, it's, 
it's in this industry it's really about who you know it's a it's a really small industry um it's a big part of who you know but also like being able to kind of showcase your skills um and so if you can do things like you know create demo content that you have available for people to look at once you once you meet them uh but yeah i mean as far as as far as actually getting that foot in the door i i highly recommend convention you know gdc the other thing that's really interesting is you know the way that social media works now you can you can talk to about anybody that you want to and you know it's i talk to a lot of people who just have random questions about what the industry's like and you know how to get in and that kind of stuff and i've even got people interviews that i met on twitter so mm. you know it's just a matter of like you know if, if you got to have the right attitude you know and ask the right questions and be social and you know just go out there and, and look for the information that you want Excellent. Uh, i have a question from the chat room about your comics <laughs> <laughs> the comics on the wall oh. behind your head. Ah, yes. So are, are you a fan and... of the Marvel restart? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of waiting. I don't know yet. I, I'm nervous, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not totally against it, but we'll see. <laughs> see, I'm not a huge comic fan, but I just realized the other day uh, I was reading something and... I didn't know that there was a relationship between Kitty Pride and Colossus, and now I feel like I have to go back and read like old X Men to find to find uh, storylines involving this. Yeah, I don't think I knew that either, but I also have a bad memory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm more of a um, watched the TV series X Men rather than like read the comics X Men, sure. just because I read very quickly and it takes me three seconds to go through a comic book, and then I'm like, oh, it's over. So I, oh, know, wow. I'd rather watch a half hour, I guess, on TV to, instead of doing that. But just watch, do the digital versions. I, I, I subscribe to Mar Marvel Digital Online, and so I can just like go through a bunch of them at once if I want to. <laughs> pretty nice. I'm planning on having a guest to discuss this, but I, I'd be interested as somebody who seems to be uh, into comics like you are. I ran into a a women's group called Women in Refrigerators the other day. And their philosophy, philosophy is that in comic books, uh, a lot of times there are uh, powerful women characters and they end up dying basically to further uh, the storyline of somebody else in the comics. And usually in horrible ways where they don't get to be heroic. Like they get cut up and stuffed in a refrigerator or they get shot and they die on a table or they get tortured through three series, you know, or things like this. Like, would you agree with that or do you think that that's possibly biased i never really thought about that i'm not sure what i think about that uh i i i could see that i suppose you're saying uh, spider-man's first girlfriend for mary jane falls off the building and dies. yeah and yeah, how well, that was pointless <laughs> like a lot of there's well, a lot of bitterness <laughs> the thing that's really interesting about that though is there's a, a lot of debate about when that actually happened he she was falling and he webbed her, which snapped her neck. He kind of so, her, but she would have died anyway. Well, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, there's a bunch of people like, well, he killed her. Well, no, he was trying to save her. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, there was some debate about that, which later, if I'm not mistaken, later they kind of brush over that. Like, when they re-talk about it in later comics, they, they remove that, that, that part of it. So, uh, okay. so yeah, it's, it, it, at least I, I'm pretty sure that's the impression I was given in later stuff, so... Doesn't one of them, and I want to say Supergirl, die, but she's, like, tortured um, for a couple episodes, and, and people got up in arms about that. I think she was, like, 
with a drill or something. Like something, some sort of power tool that didn't sound fun. And uh, people were getting upset about that because of the long, I guess, the long episodes involving it. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not a long-time comic fan, so I can't say that. Yeah. I remember all these episodes. Sure. But it I that's kind of interesting, uh interesting premise. And there, there's been tracking of this to try to, to see if it's... Huh. See, but so I guess they're trying to say that they don't want the women superheroes to be disposable or to be like merely story enhancers. Interesting. Yes. Hmm. So, so I might have them on women in refrigerators. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else uh, you would like to add before we close here? You know, I I think we've pretty much covered everything. Unless there's any other questions, you know just working hard and trying to get this stuff done you know right. it's it's funny like people don't people always uh ask me things like you know what's it like to to work at a, at a game company and it it's really interesting like so some some of the myths that aren't myths are we can wear pretty much whatever we want like you know i wear shorts and t-shirts every day which is awesome um uh we do drink a lot which is awesome uh, <laughs> after hours no, 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 during a lot. <laughs> well, the Saints Row people, I could see that because some of that stuff. Wow, that's really far out creatively. I I think at every place I've worked, people have alcohol on their desk. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a really you know it's a really laid back industry, and you know we creativity is an interesting thing and a difficult thing to kind of foster. So anything that you can do to help, I think is, is nice. Now, of course people aren't falling down drunk all the time or anything, <laughs> right. like that. but you know, it's, it's just, it's just not a big deal though. So, you know, it's, it's something that's been common throughout my you know 11 years in the industry. Creative um, places that I have uh, seen seem to be a little more flexible regarding um, specific times. Do you find that's true there? Like people, it seems hard to narrow artists down to a nine to five you come in at nine you must be there and leave at five is there more flex in your hours or do you have to be schedule oriented still we try to keep some core hours so that people are around for meetings and that they can be there together to you know coordinate things like that but yeah actually it's really flexible and volition is volition is specifically flexible like they're really good about work-life balance and making sure people can do what they want when they need to and not feel like they're pressured to be in the office because mm -hmm. we feel like you have to be there you don't necessarily want to be there and you're not going to create the kind of content that we want everybody to be able to create. So, you know, it's, we want to make that, make people feel like they can do what they need to. And, you know, we've got people that like to come in really late and, and stay really late or even come in early because their kids get out of school at three, you know, like whatever they want to do is fine as long as they're getting their work done and, and doing high quality work. Mm -hmm. I was reading in your blog, you were basically breaking down the process of designing a video game and, and it didn't sound like there was a horrible amount of crunch time. But at the end, you were saying that uh, if there's a bug or something that needs to be addressed, you can be called at all hours. Have you ever had, like, you know, it's 1 o'clock in your sleep and someone calls you and says, you need to come in and fix this? Oh, yeah. That work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it. you know, well, first of all, there, there are, there's always going to be the, the times of crunch. Like, and, and it also depends on what you call crunch. Like, you know, when you're working toward a deadline, you'll work a few extra hours that week because you've got something you want to get done and make sure it gets in the game. Because what it boils down to in the long run is you've got this much content you want to create this much time. And 
things don't always happen the way that you want. Like maybe if something you thought was going to work well didn't, you got to start it from scratch or, you know, the build breaks and everybody loses a day, you know, or, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen to make it to where you need to put in a little extra time to kind of make up for, for either bad choices or bad planning or just everything that kind of happens. And that's normal things that kind of derail you a bit. And, you know, it's so, so there is crunch every now and then it's usually later in the project though, you know, like in the last, you know, say six months, but, and then once you get toward finaling, that's when you'll really get the, you know, holy crap, nobody touch anything, you know, until this one person can come fix this one part. And, you know, that, that does happen. And we, we, we pretty much have people either individuals or groups on call all the time so that if a problem happens, someone can be available to come and take care of it. And the nice thing about being in Champaign is everyone lives four miles or, or so from work. Okay. So. Which is one of the big draws for me coming here. When I was in San Francisco, it took me an hour and a half to get to work. So, you know, it's a big, big, big difference. And so, you know, it's, it's nice to know that I can be home in the evening for dinner and, you know, and come back to work if I need to. Right. Excellent. Okay. For those who couldn't make it tonight, uh, this recording, the portion that's actually correct with my talking, will be saved on Twitch and available for viewing for the next uh, week or so. And a big thank you to Jameson. You can find him on Twitter at Jameson Durrell or JamesonDurrell.com for the blog on fatherhood and gaming. And if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in relationship or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to GenesisGray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. And please subscribe to the channel. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>